we're back. Welcome to episode 65 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This episode is your ultimate guide to observing guides. I'm Chris and joining me as usual is Shane. We are amateur astronomers and we do astronomy just for the fun of it. We're just, we're just regular people that have regular jobs, but we also like to look at the night sky and uh, we own far too many telescopes and books. And often we talk a lot about telescopes, but this episode we're going to talk about Oh, sorry. There was a little internet thing. We're talking about guides. We're, we're, we'll guide you to the guides, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. So, uh, Shane, uh, let's see. Um, oh, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Eric. He's on our okay. Astro Sketchers list. And he put out this comment to us about <laughs> his favorite piece of astronomical gear. And considering that we are, we are facing down the barrel of a big snowstorm. We're actually kind of on one side of it right now. I think Eric is just on the other side because he's over in the Alberta region, I think. And yep. uh, what, what was it? It was lined pants or something like that? Yeah, well, it was like overalls. And um, so like, you know, overalls <sighs> kind of have that bib style thing, you know, that usually comes up your chest. And I, I wear uh, like the bib style uh, snow pants when I go ice fishing and having like having that bib come up to seal more of that heat in is just a game changer. So yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I tried ice fishing once. I'm not from originally from Saskatchewan. And I thought I would try ice fishing. You know, I caught 40 pounds, but it all melted before I got home. All right. <laughs> so yeah, I thought, you know, that was a really good, very apt thing. The line yes. pants um, at this time of year uh, is just awesome. Um, you know, and when I was first observing with, uh, with my friend Graham, who unfortunately passed away uh, a couple of years ago now, um, he's the one that kind of put me on to getting lined pants. Cause I was just going out with like my jeans or maybe like, you know, I was, I was taking like a pair of jogging pants and put them on over my jeans and that sort of thing. Um, doesn't get as cold, uh, in Nova Scotia as it does here. So, so I was able to kind of fudge my way through, but I, I was getting kind of cold some nights and he was, he was the type of person that liked to observe um, very long sessions. So minimum to typically his preference was to do about a four hour session. I really prefer to do about a two to three hour session. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by the end of four hours, I was, I was absolutely frozen and, uh, and not too happy. Um, and he was like, yeah, you got to go and this is what you got to get. And so I went out and bought a pair of these, uh, like lined pants and, uh, I actually bought like over oversized ones so I could put on two pairs of pants and put these on over top and, uh, and get some other stuff. And, uh, and certainly that, that got me, uh, well into three to four hours, uh, pretty comfortably like in Nova Scotia, not nearly as cold as here, but here having the lined pants. And I think, I think here you kind of put me on to getting a pair that's almost like, like you said, like a work pant. Mine aren't quite like a work pant. They're kind of like almost like a climbing slash work pant. Okay. And, and uh, but they've got a shell. It's a very hard shell. And then they've got this, this line to them. And then I can wear a pair of, uh, this is sort of my contribution to it is polypropylene, which is this amazing material. I guess people are making masks out of it um, for the pandemic. I guess it's like the ideal material for making face mask out of they were talking about it on the radio and i thought oh they're going to be talking about long underwear or something but no that's what they were talking about but but that's what i wear for uh for my uh bottom layer when we get uh when we get down um cool like it's it's really got to be getting below zero for me to wear it if we're out 
in the grasslands in the summer, I'll, I'll put that on, but there's a lot of nights where it's, uh, it's too warm in the grasslands. Anyway, I just thought we would start with that because I thought this was really appropriate. And, uh, and I was really happy to hear that Eric was listening to our podcast. He's, he's a really good uh, astro sketcher and contributor to the list. And during the pandemic, he's kind of been doing some uh, sketching projects with, uh, with his young family. So I thought that was really cool that he reached out and said that. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And it wasn't really a, it wasn't really a, a question or anything. It was just, just like a, like a suggestion and, and a comment. I thought it was, it was just so good. Um, I thought maybe at some future point in, in time, if people do make like their, their, you know, suggestions or comments, like their favorite piece of gear or something, it could be like an episode on that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cause while you and I give our thoughts and opinions uh, it's never the all encompassing list and it's really just our thoughts and there's so many other perspectives and things that we oh, yeah. miss that it's great to, you know, hear about that and, and, yeah. you know, we can talk about it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, and, and that was something I just thought was excellent. Like uh, if people are getting into this and, and they're, they're really looking to be a little bit more comfortable out under, out under the stars, especially as we're getting into the cold season here in the Northern hemisphere, you know, mm-hmm. getting a pair of these, these line pants, which are actually pretty inexpensive. I think my first pair cost me like, 25 bucks or something and you don't need like a really expensive pair when you're just getting started um and they're not they typically aren't that expensive anyway and like a like even a pair of uh snow pants will do and a lot of times people already own this stuff but um you know they might not really be thinking especially they live in places that are even just slightly warmer than here like you know where i'm from out east is is definitely a little bit warmer um you might not even think about grabbing that stuff instead you go out but you know, after an hour or so, even if it is only minus four or minus five, like you do start to get really cold and um, making sure that you're wearing proper warm clothes, that definitely makes it a lot more enjoyable. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And like we've said before, you know, I like to dress for for twenty degrees lower than the advertised or forecasted temperature. <laughs> advertised. Um, They're really yeah. trying to sell you on the forecast here, aren't they? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, if if I if it's minus four and I dress for minus twenty four. I'm usually mm-hmm. very comfortable if I do that. Yeah. That, and I, I actually, I think about that a lot. And uh, like I said, you're from here. I'm not. And I actually find that is a really good rule here. Um, and that actually works out really well in other places. Like I know when I, when I do go back home and go observing uh, with my friends, like at the star party there, I do notice that um, I definitely am way better prepared. Like, mm-hmm. like to me, the, the weather there uh, when you're observing seems like the bunny slope compared to what we do out here. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought they were pretty hardy out there. So, uh, yes. So there's that. So Shane, let's start with a definition. I put a definition up. Would you like to read the definition? <laughs> I'm not sure I can read the word that we're defining. But <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't read it either. So that's why I was asking. Bibliophilia. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. that's it. Bibliophilia. Yeah, so, the love of books is bibliophilia, and someone who loves to read, admire, and a person who collects books is often called a bibliophile, uh, but can also be known as a biblio. Bibli- I don't know something else. But biblio later, we'll catch you yeah. biblio later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meaning being overly devoted to books or a, a bookman, which is or another person, term. I guess. Yeah. yeah book yeah. person would be a better term, which yeah. is another term for a person who has a love of books. Yeah. So are you a bibliophile or a biblio later? 
I am, um, you know, if there's, if there's degrees on here, I, you know, I'd say yes, but um, I'm not as intense as you are. I know you certainly fit this definition. Yeah, I think um, I do. Yeah, I, I love my books. Um, I, I have a, you know, I actually, I do have a fairly large book collection, not yeah. just astronomical, but uh, uh, not all just paper either. I, you know, I do like paper books, um, but I also love some books on my e-reader, like my Kindle, yeah. um, just for the portability of it and just how handy that thing is. I, I do have a, you know, sort of a spot for that in my day-to-day -day usage as well. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I definitely am uh, a bibliophile. Um, you know, when, when I'm doing academic work and I, I work at a university, I'm not, I don't work as, as an academic really, but uh, you know, but I do have a couple degrees and uh, you know, when, when I'm doing academic work, I find that, yeah, I, I do want them digitally because I find it much easier to go back and forth between like my, uh, uh, my writing that I'm, that I'm trying to do really efficiently and whatever. And, uh, and then, uh, you, you know, and the, then the document that I'm kind of working through, um, that's much easier, but sort of in my recreation time, uh, I don't prefer to do that. I definitely prefer to have the, the physical, uh, book and I take a very much more casual and laid back, uh, back approach to it. So we're going to talk about observing guides today. Now, mm -hmm. Shane, do you have any, like, I wasn't really sure exactly how we would do this. We kind of spitballed some ideas. We've talked about books in the past, but I think um, this is maybe a little bit more focused. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so what are your thoughts on, on some observing guides? I've kind of sketched out some things here, but I, yeah. I'm just leaving it open. Sure. So I, you know, I think we need a second definition here. Uh, mm -hmm. So we, we've done, um, it, well, we've done an episode entirely dedicated towards sky atlases. Um, and now we're going to do like guides. Now, I think it's important to just maybe define what a, a guide is, you know, or the difference between a, an astronomical guide versus an atlas. Um, so the atlases are, you know, plotting the night sky with the position of stars and other objects, and you use those to find the objects. Um, the guides that we'll talk about today really are more like describing the objects, uh, giving you other data about the objects, like the RA and the declination or the magnitude. Um, so I think that's just an important distinction for people to know. Um, I like to use both in conjunction. And in fact, a number of atlases out there have a guide associated with it. Uh, like the Sky Atlas Atlas, uh, Sky Atlas Atlas. <laughs> yeah. Um, it has a guide as well. Um, and, and again, that guide has every object that's listed in the Atlas, but it gives you all that other information, like its size, its magnitude. Because when you just look at an Atlas and you see NGC 2442, um, you may not know if it's even observable in your telescope. Uh, because of its size or its brightness. So then you could go to the guide and then determine whether or not this is an object that you should be able to see. Mm -hmm. um, Uranometria, it has a guide. Interstellarium has a guide. Um, so, you know, those are all really useful. But then there's, you know, we're going to talk about all kinds of guides today. And then there's some just that are just generic guides that aren't associated to a particular atlas, but tell you a whole bunch of information about um, the, the, you know, various objects. Uh, one of, one of those quick examples would be like Omira's series, like, uh, um, 
deep sky gems and on and on and on, um, or, or deep sky treasures, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, hidden gems is the other one I was thinking of. Uh, he gives extremely like, you know, engaging written descriptions of the objects that he's observing. And, uh, you know, they're, that's a fascinating guide for a whole other reason. Yeah. No, exactly. So where, where would you like to start? Do you want to start with just with some, some beginner guides here? I, that's where I began, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of open to. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Go for it. The beginner stuff that's a little more accessible. Um, so we've talked about this one many, many, many times, and this one is actually sort of a combo guide and Atlas. Um, and that's Terrence Dickinson's night watch. Yeah. Um, If people are, if people are, I'm going to jump in and say, if people are listening to this and they're interested in astronomy, if you've never bought anything for astronomy and you're kind of thinking really a little bit more seriously about it, go and get yourself a copy of night watch. That is the best thing to start with because it only costs about $25 Canadian. Probably you can get it for less than 20 bucks American or wherever you are that conversion. And, uh, and it's, it's a great book. It's got perfect star charts to get started with. And uh, yeah, you, you can just get rolling just, just like that. Make a red flashlight and, and you've got all you need to really start your adventure of the night sky. And his, his advice in there is truly excellent, I think. Yeah, agreed. And, and I think what I'll try to do too, as we go throughout this whole list is uh, I'll do a quick price check because uh, I, again, I still feel bad for recommending that Cambridge Moon Atlas that's now selling in the used market for like 400 or $500. It's a, um, apparently it's a good book. Apparently, yeah. So yeah, Nightwatch, $34.65. Okay, Canadian. there you go. Yeah. Uh, so that's perfect. Uh, it, it's also spiral bound. So like this yeah. thing is designed to be used in the field, um, which makes it such a great book. So like Chris said, you know, lots of charts to help you find things, but also descriptions of what you should be looking yeah. for. So maybe, maybe that would put it at $25 American or something like that. Yeah. 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 That's a great one. What, uh, what else would you think Chris, uh, is a good, you know, early book to buy for somebody who's just getting into astronomy? So this one I, I, I make with a little bit of hesitation, but people who are getting into this tend to uh, really enjoy um, looking at and reading about uh, the astronomical gear, maybe a little bit more than they should. I, I, I think that the Night Watch book by Terrence Dickinson is definitely the book to start with. Um, and then the other book by Terrence Dickinson and Alan Dyer is the Backyard Astronomer's Guide. Um, and I, I think that makes a pretty good uh, second book. And, mm-hmm. and that book sort of ironically enough has, has less about the backyard astronomy um, and more about the purchasing of equipment in mind. Although that was my first astronomy book and boy, did I ever, ever love pouring over the pages and pages of material in there. Uh, you know, I was getting into astronomy just at the time the internet was, uh, was really starting to become, um, you know, a congregating place for for the amateur astronomy community, but uh, that there was nothing out there quite uh, like the Backyard Astronomer's Guide. And still there's nothing, I don't think that there, there really is, um, you know, the, the, the same type of material uh, conveyed in the same way. Uh, Terrence Dickinson is a tremendous writer. Alan Dyer, who also contributes or is the co-author of the Backyard Astronomer's Guide is, is, uh, you know, arguably one of the best amateur photographers in the world, also a great writer and, you know, uh, somebody that you and I both know quite well. Um, and, and it makes, it, it makes a pretty, 
a pretty good set. Um, Nightwatch and, and the Backyard Astronomer's Guide, both, I think. So do you have mm-hmm. any other, uh, any, do you have any other comments on those two or, or any other books that you would recommend, Shane? Yeah, comment on the Backyard Astronomer's Guide. Um, I al- that was also, I think, my first book that I bought uh, when mm-hmm. I got into the hobby and loved poring over the images. But it really is like a A to Z comprehensive guide for getting into a, uh, astronomy. Like, yeah. you know, it starts off with just uh, some basic kind of astronomical hobby um, introductory things. It talks about binoculars, telescopes, eyepieces, filters, mounts. It takes you through all of that. Mm-hmm. But then it also takes you into like how to assess whether or not you have a good observing site. And it gives you like a little bit of a survey and criteria. Yeah, uh, It talks about like imaging. It talks about how you observe. Like it really takes you through everything you need to know. Yeah. Um, now, kind of some things, the... you, you, yeah, like it's, it, it, you, some things you may want to dive deeper into, yep. but it, it's a great primer for pretty much anything, you know, related to amateur astronomy. It's, it's a fantastic book. Yeah, it really, it really sets the stage, I think, for, uh, for what, what to expect and just kind of the general, uh, the general uh, you, you know, sort of role and, and program that, that amateur astronomy is. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Do you have any other intro guides that you were thinking of? Um, you know, another one that we, we just take a little bit for granted because we get it delivered to our mailbox uh, once a year is the and maybe this is a little more advanced, but I, I still think it's a, a solid beginner's guide as well. And, and that's the Rask Observer's Handbook. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, I see you have it on the list here. Mm-hmm. Um, this gets more into like you're helping you plan your observing for the year mm-hmm. uh, by highlighting some, you know, big events like, say, uh, moon transits on Jupiter or eclipses. Um, but it's, what is it, Chris, 300 ish pages, 350, something it, like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a pretty thick book, uh, that will tell you a lot of like some of the stuff that you and I, um, talk about every month in our, you know, the Month, monthly observing yeah. guide. A lot of that information comes from the, the Rask observers handbook. It, you know, it's, it's a fantastic source of information, um, for that kind of, or for, you know, for those types of events that we talk about. Yeah. And in, and in full disclosure, I'm a contributing author to it and uh, uh, do that as you know, a volunteer. I don't get paid anything at all for it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I do have a few sections in there. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it is a neat uh, annual publication. There used to be a lot of different annual publications, but um, a lot of the organizations and individuals who are putting those out have either, have either stopped or ceased for one, one reason or another. Um, and, uh, and our handbook actually has become more popular, um, recently in, in the past few years, which is really great to see so that it it used to be just one of many. And typically originally, like, I think when I, when I joined in, you know, in, in the nineties or whatever, um, it was pretty much just sold in Canada. You could sort of mail order it or whatever, but now it's, it's stocked by uh, sky and telescope. It's stocked by a lot of other, um, retailers and distributors of, uh, of astronomical publications. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it is a lot of fun to be uh, a contributor. And I think one of the things is, is that um, because we don't make any money at it, we just do it for fun. I think that comes through like everybody who's writing sections like I do um, is just doing it purely for the fun of it. And I also think that uh, that definitely keeps the cost down so that our overhead is, is simply just the printing of it. Um, 
we did try to put out a few editions that were digital um, and that just didn't work. It turned out that putting out digital copies was pretty much uh, about the same cost as, as putting out the, the print copy sort of strangely enough. Um, and so, uh, so we sort of stopped doing that a few years ago. Um, yeah. uh, just but, a, a comment about that, Chris, the, one of the neat things about reading that book is the fact that there's dozens of contributors to it. You know, dozens of different people have written sections of that observer's hand guide, mm-hmm. uh, which also lends to, um, an interesting read because there's some different styles of writing and, and different perspectives on the sky, which is, uh, you know, interesting to me. Yeah. So if people want a copy, they can go to rasc.ca and go into the shop. Uh, you can also, if you want, and there's uh, an American version as well. So we've sort of Americanized a version of it, um, use the proper spelling of center and stuff like that. I'm sure actually when they see the, the spelling of our, some of our words, they're wondering what the heck is up. Um, and that's sold through Sky and Telescope. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, regardless, uh, RASC Observer's Handbook is what it's called. Annual publication, the 2021 edition comes out this week, I think. So a little plug for that. And it's put out by amateur astronomers, um, mostly from Canada, but some from around the world. And then we, we have uh, some uh, American friends of ours who, who contribute to do the, the American edition, which is, uh, which is really fun. But I put some binocular books on here as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any binocular guides that uh, that particularly interest you. Um, the the one that I have is uh, oh gee I should look up the title of it. It's by Stephen James O'Meara, and uh, I lent it to you once actually. Yeah, and it's a pretty decent binocular book. Um, yeah, it's pretty I, good. I, I just like anything by Stephen James O'Meara. I, I don't feel like you can go wrong with any of his uh, publications. No. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty solid, but, uh, you know, I know you've talked about some binocular guides in the past. I don't know if those are the ones you're planning on bringing up yep. today or if you have some new ones. No, they're, they're sort of the old standbys. Um, there's two, I think the first one is, I think it's out of print. If it's out of print and you can get it from Phil Harrington's website, Phil Harrington is the author, um, a tremendous amateur astronomer, tremendous contributor to the amateur astronomy uh, community writes um, pretty much monthly columns um, and puts them out on, on Clyde Innates. They're freely available. Um, his book is called Touring the Universe Through Binoculars. Uh, some people call it TUBA for short. And it's, it show, it's a really beautiful list and it's very eloquent. I really like the book. It kind of reminds me of some of the books I had in grade school, just like the, the quality of the pages in print. Um, it's a very large print, so it's actually pretty easy to read. Um, and then I think his selection of objects for binoculars is, is pretty much perfect. Like he goes into some double stars and galaxies and nebulas and clusters and all this stuff and really, really gives like sort of a brief summary, um, of the ones that he thinks are most interesting in these constellations. And, and he is perhaps, you know, among the most experienced amateur astronomers out there, uh, very good writer. He also makes some good recommendations on binoculars in that book and uh, just sort of talks about uh, binocular astronomy in general, what you can see on the moon. Um, and it's a great uh, beginner book for uh, using binoculars. So I think like if you read Terrence Dickinson's Night Watch, he tells you to go buy a pair of binoculars and gives you some stuff you can see. Um, and then I think uh, Phil Harrington's Touring the Universe Through Binoculars, which you can use kind of in combination with Terrence Dickinson's guide, uh, Nightwatch, uh, would make it just a, just a really perfect combination. Um, 
probably have to buy Torrent Universe through binoculars used. I, I don't think it's uh, it's any uh, any longer in publication. Um, but and this book was in publication until like today. I think you you sent me a note saying that uh, Wilman Bell isn't isn't publishing any longer. They're the they were the publisher of Craig Crossan's Binocular Astronomy. And Craig Crossan uh, is is a tremendous uh, binocular astronomer, um, and he wrote this binocular astronomy, just called binocular astronomy. Widely available book. Also, I guess if you if you have to find it used, um, it should be pretty easy to find uh, used. Now, it's although I think that it's it could be seen as a beginner book. I actually think that um, it's almost like an intermediate book on uh, binocular astronomy. He, he goes through kind of what you can see through the nighttime sky with a pair of seven uh, to 10 powers, say uh, 35 to 50 millimeter binoculars. Um, he also goes into the history uh, of, the, of the constellations and the different things that you're looking at. Um, so it, it has a bit of an academic bent to it and uh, you know, uh, might not be the easiest thing for a brand newcomer to astronomy to read. That said, kind of once you have your basics down with like Nightwatch and maybe touring the universe through binoculars to, I think that the very, like it, it's just such a beautiful progression to then go to binocular astronomy uh, from those texts. Because by that point, you're gonna be looking to dig a little deeper. And uh, to be frank, Craig Crossan doesn't dumb anything down. He just kind of really gives it to you. He's an excellent writer. And, uh, and, he, and he goes off into perhaps some tangents, but they're, they're truly interesting. And kind of when you get into, into that sort of intermediate zone of, of amateur astronomy or binocular astronomy, um, I think he gives you what you're looking for. Really right nice. On. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, just to couple price checks the uh touring the universe uh through binoculars looks like it's still being printed um, okay and uh 38 dollars for a paperback uh, a little bit more uh around 50 dollars for the hardcover uh, yep. it looks like i think it has a kindle version as well uh binocular astronomy different story uh used 160 dollars whoa new 470 Wow. So, Chris, you mentioned it right at the start. Um, so, yeah. probably one of the, you know, one of the better uh, publishers of guides for astronomy uh, is Willem Bell, and Willem Bell has uh, closed the doors on the business uh, just recently, actually, mm-hmm. um, which is really, really unfortunate because they they printed some outstanding books. Yeah. Um, so when this happens, we referenced this, um, well, I, when we talked about the, the outrageous price for that Cambridge photographic Atlas of the moon, uh, yeah. we talked about how these astronomy books can just disappear and become out of print. And then when that happens, the yeah. price skyrockets. So they can, yeah. Any of these Willem Bell books, I imagine are going to become quite pricey. So if you can find, should have bought more. Bell, yeah. <laughs> You know, if you can find a Willem Bell book in stock at your local astronomy store, um, you may want to purchase it, especially yeah. if it's been on your list. Now, yeah. we, don't, we don't know much about the Willem Bell situation, about closing the doors, other than what's uh, on the internet. Um, part of it was the, the owner is around 80 years old and has some health issues and just decided it was time to, uh, to stop the business. 
Um, it is he, like he is looking to um, get the books published by a different publisher and uh, kind of there carry we go, on Shane. The, lineage, the actual but. astronomy publishing company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I could just see but, you going to your wife saying, I have good news. Yeah, and not so good. Capital money. Yeah, no. <laughs> We've lost um, all our money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, we have to live in the observatory. Now. <laughs> um, so You'd be anyway, living in the observatory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't pay a lot of money. Like, you know, these, these Will and Bell prices might uh, escalate here. It might be worth too just to bide your time to see if another publisher picks up the books because the yeah. prices will come back to what they should be. But if you can find one in stock somewhere for, for the right price, then, you know, jump on it if, if you want it. Um, two of my favorites from Will and Bell are the uh, Nighttime Observer's Guide. They have like the fall, what is it? Autumn, winter, and then spring, summer uh, series. Yeah, uh, and they are just fantastic. You know, they go through each constellation and talk about. Um, this one is more of like a, a data guide than like a a written guide. You know, in terms of descriptions about the objects. But yeah, it's not like uh, a page turner. It's like like a reference book. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, maybe a little bit more detail. They could have some sketches and photographs and um, have some descriptions through a variety of instruments. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I wrote those down. Those are called the Night Sky Observers Guides by Kepler and. Saner. Uh, I think there's four versions. There's a volume one, volume two. They cover a variety of constellations. Then there's um, a summer guide. It's called something like Night Sky Observer's Guide to the Summer Sky or something like that. It's excellent. I love that one. And uh, and then they have one for the Southern Hemisphere, which I never picked up, but now I wish I had because uh, you know eventually I do want to do the Southern Hemisphere as well. So yeah, yeah, that would be, uh, that's, that one's on my list too. I'd like to get that one if I can without mm-hmm. paying $500. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. And you also, at, at one point here, and these ones are in publication, um, put out by Cambridge University Press are the Stephen James O'Meara set. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you really like them. Now, don't get me wrong, like, I, I like them. I like them. They are big. They're kind of like the Lord of the Rings set, but for astronomy. Yeah, that, that is the downfall. They're big and they're heavy. Um, this, is, this is where, you know, a, a Kindle version is actually maybe preferred by myself. Um, Can you get those in Kindle? Because that I'm would just be... just going to look here. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think if, if you could, you know, I'm not really one to recommend digital books that much, but the Stephen James Amira set is, uh, you know, and, and they're, they're reasonably affordable, I think. Uh, and there's amazing information in there. Um, definitely well worth reading, but, uh, but the books themselves are just so physically... Uh, imposing you know they, they make uh stephen king books look like magazines almost um to a certain yeah. extent they're they're high quality books um made with uh you know high quality heavy paper and uh you know hardcover um so you know you're you're paying and getting good quality um and the writing and and the photographs and sketches are are some of the best that you're going to see he does everything mostly through his uh, four inch telescope and then eventually graduated to a five inch telescope, but, uh, uh, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of detail uh, that he puts in. So they're well mm-hmm. worth reading. The Messier books is, is the smallest one. You can buy that in hardcover. Um, but then like his Caldwell objects, deep sky treasures, secret sky. I think he did one on the Southern hemisphere as well. Um, yeah, the, yeah. There's hidden treasures, Southern gems, 
There we go. Uh, Caldwell objects, Messier objects. It's the Deep Sky Companions series. Deep Sky Companions um, series. That's what it's called. And it does look like they're all available on Kindle. So yeah, that would be That good. is like, yeah, I think that, in, in fact, some of my favorites, I might almost want. Oh, I shouldn't say they're all available on Kindle, but it looks like the the more popular ones like Hidden Gems or Hidden Treasures and uh, Deep Sky, what the heck here? Deep Sky Treasures. Deep Sky Treasures. Or, yeah. yeah. Or The Secret yep. Deep. That's it. The Secret Deep. Oh, The Secret um, Deep. Yeah. That's, yeah. I call it The yeah. Secret Sky, but it's, it's a secret. I, I was just kind of going by memory because um, I, I read those and I used them so much. I wrecked the dust jackets. So I just threw them out and <laughs> I have them all um, except for the Southern one. I don't think I have, um, but I don't think I have any of the dust jackets for them. They're just, they just kind of look like the, it almost makes my library look like a library. Right. Um, you know, I have all these books, but I use them. So they're not like in pristine shape. So probably the actual value of my library isn't, uh, isn't what it, what it would be if I was like a comic book guy or somebody like that. Here's one for you, Chris, that I just, I didn't even know this one was out. Uh, I Uh-oh. think this is a new one by Stephen James O'Meara. Oh, let's hear it. It's called Mars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's it. I think it came out June 15th of this year. So oh, really? I'm not, huh. I'm not familiar at all with this book, but just, well, I, you know, in searching I, these other ones, this one was in the list. So. I do have a Mars book um, by O'Meara and uh, it's by O'Meara and William Sheehan. And I started reading it and, uh, Hopefully this one's better. I, I didn't really get that far in that one. I bought it used and uh, I was like Sheehan and Omira, like these are two of my favorite writers. And it, it's almost like it just needed another edit or something. I don't know. The language is very flowery and uh, it was hard to read almost. There was just too many like analogies and um, okay. tangents and that sort of thing. But anyway, um, yeah, I might buy that one. Who, well, this one doesn't sound like much of a guide. So Mars will appeal to historic, well, maybe, uh, will appeal to historians, planetary geologists, and anyone with an interest in space and exploration. Hmm. So I think it talks a little bit about some of the rovers and missions. And okay. apparently he answers the question if there's life on Mars. So okay. there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, one of the other books, this, this is, a, this is a, a very good book. I think it's worth owning for most telescopists. And that is Sue French's Deep Sky Wonders. It's a really good uh, guide to many constellations. Um, there's some of the stuff that I don't care for as much, but, but I'm, I'm not going to get into the things that I, that I don't like. I'm just going to say she includes really good little charts. Um, there's not like big charts. It's almost like, you know, I guess that maybe this is the criticism. It's almost like a coffee table book. Um, and it's hardcover, so it's kind of big and, and wonky. Like it's, it, I almost would have preferred if they had done that spiral bound so that I could like use it for observing. Because I, I think that um, her notes and descriptions are very good, but it would have been nice to have a little bit more of, a, of an observing guide flavor uh, to it. Um, but she's, she's a good writer. And um, most importantly, I do enjoy the obje- objects uh, that Sue French selects. And uh, Sue was a very good observer, although my understanding is she's kind of hung up the, the astronomy uh, spurs, so to speak, and, and isn't really doing as much uh, observing uh, and writing any, any longer, which, which is unfortunate um, because she was, uh, was such a great, uh, great observer um, and, a, and a very uh, well-written person. You know, I did, did enjoy 
uh, the objects that she picked. In fact, I think that Sue French's objects are among my favorite objects. I really found like the objects she would pick are nice objects. She would have binocular objects, small telescope objects, and then larger telescope objects, but not like crazy big telescope objects, like objects that would look good in like, uh, like a 10 or 12 inch, not necessarily like a 20 inch. And right. so I really enjoy that. She'd so pick up the book and I know that pretty much anything I'm going to read in Sue French's Deep Sky Wonders is something that um, in our group of friends, like we can go out and observe. There's not going to be yeah. anything there yeah. that, that we can't observe. And, and again, like an interesting selection of objects um, that, uh, that we can take a look at and many things that I might not have thought to look at. Or sometimes I find something in the sky and I'm like, hey, I wonder if anybody uh, ever wrote anything about this. This is really cool. Maybe I'm going to write something about it. Maybe I'm going to put it in the Observer's Handbook or write an article for the journal. I write for the Royal Astronomical uh, Society of Canada Journal. And uh, boy, like the majority of time, like she's, I can find that she's actually written something uh, on that. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Price check on that. $40 for the hardcover. And uh, the price check on the Omira books, they kind of are 40 to $70 for those ones per, per uh, uh, book. Yeah, I, I think, and I think they're well-priced. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that uh, for what you get, I actually think that uh, they're affordably priced, really. Um, these, these are books that um, if you read them like cover to cover, y- it would take some time to read them. And, uh, and I think you've got books that are going to last you a lifetime. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I bought them mm-hmm. all and, uh, another set this, I think, and this is definitely out of print, um, but widely available on the used market and widely available for really cheap prices in good condition on the used market. I think I bought my whole set for $60 and that's Robert Burnham's, uh, Burnham's celestial handbook. Mm-hmm. Do you have a copy I- on your Kindle? I have uh, both. Like I have the physical okay. copy. Um, and then I, I bought the entire series on Kindle just because again, like the portability to take all three volumes quickly while we go out observing is really nice. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. Like there, of all the books we've talked about, this yeah. might be the best value. You know, you're I getting so. three comprehensive yes. guides, like you said, for $60. And while these are older out of print books, like, for whatever reason, I think they've just lived on bookshelves. So they're also often in really good condition. And uh, I love them. And and the writing is kind of engaging. Uh, There are some errors in there, but uh, they're they're easy to overlook. Yeah. The Burnham Celestial Handbook is, is dated. Um, You're going to find like, you know, the, the orbits of double stars uh, runs out in like the seventies or eighties or something. Um, But uh but for the most part, and just like his writing style was just, just brilliant. And of, of course, uh, Robert Burnham sort of led a very heartbreaking life uh, as, as an individual who, uh, who suffered from uh, sort of a, I believe it was uh, a very extreme, uh, you know, he had, uh, oh, I think it was schizophrenia or something like that. Anyway, somebody eventually found him like in a park somewhere and kind of uh, try to help him out and that sort of thing. But uh, he had worked at Lowell Observatory for a long time and, and had written these books. And then, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, mental illness uh, uh, really began to impact him and, and he kind of disappeared for a long time uh, and then passed away a number of years ago. And, and, and you know, he, he was found like painting pictures of cats in the park uh, 
uh, somewhere in California eventually. So it, it's kind of kind of a bit of a, a sad tale, but his work lives on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's excellent. I, I read that quite often. Um, usually what I'll do, like when we're going out observing, say, to the grasslands, I like to think, you know, in advance what I want to observe and where mm. I'll often start is of, you know, what, what constellation will be well positioned uh, that night. And then I'll mm. open up Burnham's uh, or sometimes one of these other guides, but usually I'll start with Burnham's and I'll start, uh, I'll, I'll read through his descriptions and objects to observe and then build out my list from there. Cause uh, I, I just, I, I think it's a fantastic guide to, for that purpose. This is sort of a strange area of guides. And I find this strange because you think of the planets. Mm. And uh, now we talked about the moon recently, so I I don't know that we're going to talk about about lunar guides. But um, when it comes to planets, there's really not that many uh, visual observing guides to the planets. Do you have any suggestions for uh, visual observing guides to the planets? There's that. Yeah, there's that one. um, It's really, really old. In fact, it's, uh, you can get it for free on Project Gutenberg. Um, Gosh, it's going to take me a minute here. Why don't you go on and I'll look up the title. Yeah, yeah, you go ahead and look up the title. I think I know the one you're talking about. It's like from the 80s or something like that. Uh, Well, like 18, late 1800s. Oh, late 1800s. 1880s. Yeah, those 80s. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... Now, are are you referring to the Celestial Objects for Common Telescopes by Webb? Yeah, that Volume is one. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, or no, actually, it's not. Nope, oh. I'm not. Carry okay, on. so so <laughs> so that that's one. It it it's way out of date, um, but it's a good uh, historical read, and it tells you about kind of what you can see on the planets, and then um, probably the best one that I found that is still in print um, only from a few years ago is uh, visual lunar and planetary astronomy by Paul G. Abel, A-B-E-L. And that's the one that I've really been looking at quite a bit this year. In fact, if you're going to just get one sort of comprehensive guide to uh, visual observing of the planets, uh, I think that's the one. The, the, my, I only have a very small criticism of the book. Um, one, it's small and he's got some great sketches in there. It kind of would have been nice if the book was a little bit larger um, to see the sketches a little bit bigger. Um, that's a small criticism. And also he does, he does lunar observing in here too. I, I think he should have just um, only included the planets and, uh, and I don't think Neptune is in there. I was trying to find Neptune. I'm like, it's not in here. So I kind of wish that uh, the lunar hadn't been in there and I wish Neptune had. I would have almost liked to see a separate book on just the lunar stuff alone because that's like a whole topic in itself. Um, Small criticisms, great book. Nobody else has put out anything as good. Um, And it really dovetails well with um, Celestial Objects for Common Telescopes by Web Volume 1, um, which is widely available used. Um, and a great historical work. Of course, there's very few uh, sketches or no photos or anything like that in, in the web book. Um, and then if you can find it, this is used. Um, don't know how easy it would be to find. Uh, I love it. It's just such a great book on actually what the planets look like through a telescope. And that's called, and there's many books called this, but there's only one that's this good. It's called Atlas of the Planets, and it's by Edwin Dolphus and 
I think it's Vincent Calate, um, French observers uh, who put this out in the, I think it was the 60s, uh, through the Pictomedia Observatory over in France. It is English though, um, and it's just excellent. Uh, I was showing you just on the last podcast some sketches uh, Adolphus did of, uh, of, the, uh, of the moons of Jupiter. Uh, that's pretty rare to find sketches of the moons of Jupiter. Um, and that's uh, sort of that, that untypical uh, representation is pretty typical in, uh, in their work. They, they did a truly uh, excellent job. So what was the other book that you were going to recommend on the planet, Shane? I'm still trying to find it here. Uh, I was hoping to find it on my Kindle. And anyway, I'm struggling a little bit. And now I'm on Project Gutenberg's website hoping to find it, but this might be a lost cause. Darn yeah. I mean, you'll see there's, there's like uh, books uh, on the planets. Like you'll see the Peterson uh, field guide um, and stuff like that. But for actually observing planets, there is, there is one more um, that I was going to try to find planet astronomy observing. Um, but uh, you can find individual books on the planets uh, under the Springer uh, name. And in fact, they've got uh, a variety of different ones uh, for most of the planets like uh, Jupiter and Saturn, uh, Uranus and Neptune, as well as Venus and Mercury. Those are together. Uh, Mars um, and all those ones. And those, those are really, really nice books. I like those. Um, and Paul G. Abel's book is also uh, out under the out under the Springer banner uh, as well. There might be a few more books that are that are a little bit out of date and, and some of the ones maybe we're referring to are, but probably for individual planets, those Springer ones are probably your best bet. Um, my only criticism is they, they all kind of duplicate a lot of the similar information about what to see uh, in general um, for some of the planets and then also like what uh, equipment uh, to use, et cetera, et cetera. So, so mm-hmm. some of that is, is a little bit duplicated, but then they do go into the specifics of each planet, not just like how to use a telescope and stuff like that. They, they do dive into them and they show a series of sketches on, on what to expect under the, uh, under the best, uh, under the best conditions. But yeah, I can't find that other one I was, I was looking for as well. And it's not a book that I own, so I might be a little bit hesitant to, uh, to recommend it anyway, but uh, did you have any luck there, Shane? Yeah, I did. It's uh, through the telescope by James Bakey. Okay. Or Bikey. Yeah. This, I, I don't know the publishing date and does it list it here? Uh, not sure, but um, so it, it's somewhere in the 1800s that this was written and it talks about the sun, Mercury, Venus, the moon, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and a bunch of other stuff and observing them. Um, but I love the, like the, the detail that he writes about that he has observed and he's using, you know, again, modest old telescopes. So anything mm-hmm. that he's writing about, you know, we're, we should be able to see, you know, fairly, uh, easily with some, you know, the right scene conditions and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Best part, this one's free. Uh, it's on Project Gutenberg, so you can download it from there and uh, read away. Uh, one other one that I want to to just quickly fit in, Chris, because I know we're getting towards the end of our time here, mm-hmm. um, but it's from our good friend, uh, Mark Bratton. Uh, he's oh, an yeah. observing friend who lives relatively close to us that we meet up with occasionally to do some observing. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, he observed every single Herschel object, uh, I believe with his 17 and a half inch telescope, or was it a 15? 15. Yeah, it was a 15, yeah. Yeah, so he wrote a complete guide to the Herschel objects and uh, included a number of his sketches, but, you know, his, uh, his observing notes uh, and descriptions. It's, it's a fantastic guide. If you have any interest at all in the Herschel objects, you have to buy this one. Uh, it's yeah. really good. And I think this one is around that $50 mark, too. Yeah, no, that's good. I have a signed copy. Yeah, as do I. Yes. Imagine. Imagine. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, sorry. I hadn't put that one on. It it skipped my mind, although it shouldn't have. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Shane. Well, do you have anything else? I think that's a that's a fairly good overview. We've we've talked about books in the past, but I think that was some uh months ago. It is coming up to Christmas. Um, that's a good time for people to maybe put uh put some books on, on a wish list. Um, I certainly will be doing uh, some more reading uh, over the, over the holiday uh, season uh, once Mm -hmm. we get into that and uh, hope you will as well. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. All right. So how can people stay in touch with us? Uh, You can find us on Twitter. We are at actual astronomy. People can email us actualastronomy at gmail.com or leave feedback on any of the podcasting platforms. Great. Well, thanks so much, Shane. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, everybody, for listening.